Hello, business building warrior. Welcome back to Silent Sales Machine Radio. All new podcast episode today. I'll be with you for a couple minutes and then I'm going to turn it over to my good friends, our coaching directors, Robin Joy and Brian Olson. They do such a great job around here. I love their episodes once a week. I get to enjoy it along with you. I've just listened to their latest episode full of nuggets of wisdom. What's a coaching director? You might be asking, well, we've got about 60 coaches on our team. These are all people who have been through the proven Amazon course training. They've built a beautiful business and now they loan out a few hours a week of their time to help others go down the same journey that they've enjoyed and already experienced themselves. We have so many coaches that we broke them up into teams. Brian and Robin Joy are two of the great coaching team leaders. And like I said, they'll be taken over here in just a moment. But a couple of announcements. This is one of the last podcast episodes that you're going to hear from us before our virtual conference, October 4th through 6th of 2023. We're having a free fourth quarter training, getting you ready for those final three months of the year, October, November, December, will be massive for online shopping. We're going to break all past records. Amazon is going to be busier than ever, and there's huge opportunity there that's unique to those three months. So we're going to get you ready for that and get you ready for what 2024 has in store, some of the brand new concepts and content that's coming your way. We're going to introduce those concepts to you at the virtual conference. You can get full details on this event at theprovenconference.com. Just click on the virtual link there. You'll see it. Get the details. I said it was free. Now, there is a little caveat there. If you're a proven Amazon course student or a coaching student or in one of our our mastermind groups, such as Legends, hey, we're going to get you in for free. Everyone else, you got to pay a little bit, but not much. It's one of the most ridiculously underpriced events of the year, free for so many of us. And then just a few dollars for those who aren't quite plugged into our community yet. You'll want to be a part of this. You'll get all the recordings as a participant, and it will help you get warmed up for our May 2024 event. Same link to get details on that event. We're still developing the details, but you can get them at theprovenconference.com. So that's the announcement. I want to talk about today's episode a little bit. One of the favorite segments that of today's show, and you're going to hear it all for yourself in a moment, was when Brian and Robin Joy talk about some of the mistakes that you can make on how you spend your money, especially as a new Amazon seller. There's so much noise out there. There's so many people on YouTube and TikTok and Instagram telling you how to do this, and you think you can kind of piece it together. But there's a lot of common mistakes that we see made. They're going to dive into those. And I just want to add to the list. They're going to give you a great list here in just a moment. But one of the things that I see people doing that's not on the list is buying inventory from sources that aren't legitimate. And that can get you into trouble. They talk about liquidations and closeouts today. But another one that really you need to be super careful with, Amazon can freeze your account. They can freeze your funds. We've seen it happen to people is when you're buying from people who find the inventory for you and purchase it before you do, and it's in their name and the invoice is in their name and they have like a warehouse of inventory and you're buying from that warehouse, please be super cautious because Amazon could require of you an invoice and it needs to have your name on it direct to a legitimate distributor or manufacturer. And these warehouses that buy all this inventory, they are not that. It's the same as the done-for-you arrangements. Stay away from those. Anybody that says, hey, we'll build your business for you. 
There's a reason none of these groups have large communities of excited students who have built big businesses over the long term. You'll hear people here and there who are doing okay for a short period of time, but then it gets frozen suddenly because Amazon has to see a chain of custody of any inventory. You don't have to listen to me. Ask your favorite Amazon expert lawyer, such as Jeff Schick. He's on the show all the time and he talks about such things. There's many other little mistakes that you can make as well. We want to help you avoid those mistakes. Some of those mistakes that you make with your money actually turn out to be really good things and you learn along the way as you go. So I'm not going to steal any more content from Brian and Robin Joy, but as I was listing, I just wanted to add my little caveat to their list as well of things that you need to be cautious of as you're getting started. Because one of the most common themes that we hear in our Facebook group is new sellers who say, wow, I wish I'd found you sooner. We've heard that thousands of times. People who launch full speed into private label and then crash and burn, having wasted tens of thousands of dollars. People that launch full speed into closeouts and liquidations, thrifting, and they think they're going to flip that stuff on Amazon. You know, you can do some of that once you know what you're doing, but Wow, that's a minefield because there's so many things that can go wrong. Amazon wants to see a legitimate chain of custody. The example that we've been using lately is the person who bought a shrink-wrapped game of Monopoly at a yard sale. Looked great. Everything about it looked legitimate. Shrink-wrapped, brand new in the package. Sold it on Amazon. They got a complaint. Someone said that it was counterfeit. Sure enough, when Amazon investigated it, they had sold counterfeit goods. Never mind the fact that The seller was completely innocent, didn't do anything intentional. That doesn't matter. The law doesn't care. You were selling counterfeit goods. That's a very bad thing. So you need to really be cautious about the sources you're buying inventory from that it tracks back to the original manufacturer or legitimate distributor. And that's the kind of stuff that we help you avoid if you go through the proven Amazon course, get into our $40 one-time payment kickstart bootcamp, maybe. That's a great option. You can get details on that at silentgym.com slash kickstart. Tells you all the details you'll need to know about those small coaching groups that we've formed to help you get started the right way as a new proven Amazon course student. Well, that's enough of an introduction. There's plenty of other things I could share, I'm sure, but there's some great illustrations today. I love how visual Brian and Robin Joy are with their examples. And they're going to paint some great visuals today for you to help you on your business building journey on Amazon. We are as excited about the Amazon opportunity right now as we've ever been, especially heading into the fourth quarter with all the new cool stuff in 2024. It's a great time to be a member of our community. Hey, did you know this podcast that you're listening to right now? One last little announcement. It is hitting the top 10 most listened to entrepreneur-related podcasts in the world in multiple countries. It's so cool to see us popping up there with the big boys. And it's all because not our marketing dollars. We don't spend any money marketing this show or marketing anything else for that matter. It's all word of mouth. So you keep spreading the word. You keep telling your friends. You leave reviews which really helps us rank well. We love to see those five-star iTunes reviews popping in. Thank you for those of you who have done that over the years. We've got hundreds of them. It's so cool to have a 4.9 out of five-star with hundreds of reviews around the world. That's awesome. Thank you for that. But keep spreading the word. Send your friends to silentgym.com. Tell them to check out your favorite podcast. That's all about using the internet creatively to launch and grow multiple streams of income with an emphasis on starting off with Amazon and some of the basic strategies that we teach to all of our students. All right, that's enough of announcements for now. I'm excited to 
listen to Brian and Robin Joy with you. Let's enjoy this episode together. It's all for you. Welcome back to Silent Sales Machine Radio. We are your co-hosts. I'm Brian. And I'm Robin Joy. And this is Coach's Corner. Hey, Brian. Hey. Hey, we are going to talk about mistake money. Mistake money. Yeah. (laughs) There's good mistake money. Yeah. The kind of mistake money we like to have. Yes. And there's bad mistake money. The kind of mistake money we can avoid. We can avoid. Okay. So let's just establish first, mistakes aren't in and of themselves necessarily bad. Right. I mean, the term mistake is, you know, we do make mistakes, but boy, we learn from them. And sometimes what we learn is so valuable that it was worth what we had to pay to get that information. Agreed. Right. The lessons that we get from those mistakes Mm -hmm. often. It's kind of like tuition money. Yeah. 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 Okay. So mistake has kind of a bad connotation, but it's really more of an maybe experience money. Mm. I don't know. I like mistake money because it's it's got a good hook. It's alliterative. (laughs) Alliterative. Yes. Okay. Good. So let's, let's give some examples of good mistake money. Okay. So one of the first things that comes up is those times when you have those revelations, when mm-hmm. when you go, oh, I would never have understood that unless I went through that process and, you know, learned that even though it cost me a little bit of money, I am so glad I got to the other side of that because I would never have known. Yeah. Right. What are some examples of, of that? Well, there are many, but just, you know, to give an overall example of it, it's like when you don't, you don't know necessarily what all the pieces and parts are on a listing until you actually get in it. Right. Once you get in it, then things reveal themselves to you and you're like, oh, that's what the variation means. Or, oh, that's why I didn't care about the offer account. Yeah. And, And sometimes, sometimes it is absolutely just a situation where you have to test it to find out True. some more information. Yeah, right, right. This is no, this is like the sort of worth the risk. Right. I, I can't tell everything, but I'm willing to roll, you know, a little bit of mistake money bit, in here. Yeah. Fortunately, the risk is low yeah. in replens. Mm-hmm. If you start with replens, the risk is really low. So you don't usually lose much money if mm-hmm. you lose any. And usually you make up, make up for it by making money you didn't know you were going to make. So it balances out. Yeah. All right. So what else is mistake money? So let's say you uh you bought from a list and you didn't you didn't go too deep, but mm-hmm. you didn't understand the ramifications of potentially buying from a list. Right. That's right? a good one. Yeah. And so, there are a lot of good reasons to buy from a list. Yes. Um, and a good reasons to have a list that but there is a bit of a learning curve but because learning there are pitfalls. Not unlike, you know, uh maybe I it's not a bad thing to sell FBM, mm-hmm. but there are some pitfalls that you might not have known. And so you want to, you know, make sure somebody who has done it before is, is you know, working with you and understands how those shipping templates work and everything. But if you didn't and you and you sold something FBM, you didn't understand the consequences and it costs you money. That's that's mistake money. Well, and we have that in the bad mistake money. Oh, that's something you could avoid. You can avoid that. Yeah. What what is you know good mistake money? Uh, another example of that might be oh that listing detail that little fifth bullet that said it was a fourteen oh, ounce. That's right. And I sent in the twelve ounce. Yeah. Oh, and shit. then I got a complaint. Yeah. yeah. Or I noticed it maybe, but while it was on the way, because I was, you know, mm-hmm. going back and, and looking at all my uh, ASINs. And I'm like, oh, shoot, I missed that part. 
So nah. close that this, listing, recall that inventory. and Yeah, but this is a great lesson where you're yes. like, okay, now I do need to look at all the bullets. I do mm-hmm. need to verify all the, the sizes and weights and all that kind right. of stuff I was before saying, I send things in. I was saying in the, in the workshop that we did in Salt Lake City, mm-hmm. making mistakes can sometimes be the very best way to learn something and you'll never forget it. You'll learn it solidly. Mm-hmm. I was in third grade. And I misspelled a word on a spelling test. It wasn't even a spelling bee in front of everybody. It was on a spelling test. But I have, I misspelled that one word and I will never forget how to spell that word Mm -hmm. again. I always know how to spell that word. (laughs) So I learned that lesson well. And that's what happens sometimes when you make mistakes. Sometimes it just solidifies that lesson and you just never have to learn it again. Right. So that's a good thing. It is a good thing. So let's talk about some of the avoidable ones, what we would call bad mistake money. Okay. Things that, yeah, you could have avoided, but yeah, you learn the lesson nonetheless. Top of the list is buying closeouts. Buying closeouts. Yeah. Yeah. Closeouts or pallets of returned items, things like that. That's never a good idea to resell on Amazon. If you're reselling on a different platform, maybe so, but for Amazon, it's never, never a good idea. And that's our advice anyway. And it's really tough to have the chain of custody for every single item on there to prove it's new, to prove, you know, it wasn't that it maintained that, you know, whatever status it had all the way through to you to where it made it to Amazon. Mm-hmm. When it gets bought, sold, closed out, you know, swapped between three different people before it gets to you on a pallet and mm-hmm. some things are broken and some things are not. It's just so dicey. Right. right. Just plus you don't know if it's a knockoff when you're yeah, buying exactly. in that in that way. You could yeah. be taken advantage of as well, yeah. but you'll be the one paying the price if you try to sell those things. So we mm-hmm. never recommend that. That's something to watch out for that can be avoided. Mm-hmm. If you've done it, you'll pay the mistake money and yes. hopefully it won't. And, and hurt by the way, when, when we say things that can be avoided, we're talking about like in this first hundred days, since we talk a lot right. about building your book of business. Yes. So like it, once you get once you've sourced Put a hundred ASINs on your replens list. You've got a good amount of experience there. Yeah, you've got Make. ten to fifteen thousand dollars a month in sales. You've really looked at a lot of ASINs, tested a lot of ASINs, and you've got you have a, a much better idea of what's going on. Yeah, and you've got a lot of experience to weigh these things against. Yes, if you know that if you know buying closeouts is in the worth the risk category, mm-hmm. then by all means, but yes. But but certainly not when when you don't have a nice book of business yet. I think we would suggest just holding off from those things. Not enough experience yeah. to to go into those areas, yeah. right? And that's who that's who we're talking about in this situation. If you are a new seller, mm-hmm. which we consider a new seller being someone who has less than ten thousand dollars a month in sales, less than one hundred eight seventy five to one hundred eight since book of business, then you know keep yourself as clean as possible. You don't have a whole lot to adjust that, you know, to balance that yeah, out if something back goes off. wrong. Right. Right. And Amazon only knows you as a teeny tiny business. Right. So they're not going to give you the benefit of the doubt. They you haven't built that trust. You yet. don't have a lot of track record there. Okay. okay. So what what other Next things one. could happen? I see this one pop up multiple times per month uh in the MST Facebook community, sometimes in the replens group. It pops up quite frequently. And this is listing uh, an item FBM without really understanding what's at risk and what the potential pitfalls are from that. Right. I started to go into that before. Yeah. But, but the, just it, listing me... F, FBM in and of itself is not a bad thing. Right, and, right. and a new seller can do that. Mm-hmm. But really, really suggest that you. Well, this is what I was going to tell the story of. Okay. When this happens, we hear, we see this post in, the, in whatever group. Oh, I listed this thing, Merchant Fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Somebody bought it. 
and they want next day delivery. And it's going to cost me $58 to ship this $8 item to the customer. Mm-hmm. Guess what? You'll never that's, do again. <laughs> that's the exact situation that we're talking about. It's not yeah. necessarily just listing things at FBM. Mm-hmm. It's listing things FBM without understanding your shipping templates and potentially leaving that express delivery option out there, not knowing it. And then you're you're stuck, right? You need to, you should go ahead and ship that item. Yes. Yes. Because again, you don't have anything to balance that out. Amazon does not, that's going to be a black mark on your account if mm-hmm. you don't ship it out. So go ahead and pay what you have to and get that shipped out if this happens to you. But this is why we recommend if you're going to start shipping FBM that you have some, you know, a mentor or a coach or someone who's done that before. Watch a video or two on it. Like just There's, There is information in pack on, on yeah. FBM. So be sure you get all your information together before you begin that. As a rule of thumb, we don't thumb? do any express <laughs> shipping on any of our shipping templates. Mm-hmm. Um, we do offer a, a pri- more of a priority, like uh, a, a two or three day service versus your standard service. But that comes at an upcharge. And this is why when you're looking at listings that have mo- merchant fulfill options on them, offers, I mean, you'll see, you know, delivery. Uh, let's see, today, I'm going to say today's September 24th. So delivery would be. October 3rd or fastest delivery, September 30th. So mm-hmm. that that normal delivery date is your typical, you know, your normal run-of-the-mill delivery. Then the priority delivery is the one that standard said, you know, yeah. yes, their standard delivery than the priority. Yeah. Then the other one that's sooner is like it's available to you, but you're going to pay more for it to get it that to get it that quickly. But we don't ever I think we tried it for a while. We had a couple of listings out there that um, we we did offer the express service sort of that next day, but we never sold anything on it because I we put made a price it so in there. expensive that we right. made sure we didn't get it. Yeah, like if I'm not paying those shipping charges, if you want it overnight, it's $58 on you, not on me. But <laughs> nobody ever took us up on that. Not that it doesn't happen. I mean, it does. It you'll does. See that Probably people, just not on the items that right. we had. That that does happen. So again, don't be afraid to list FBM. Just make sure you know what's going on. And well, and there are some other things besides the shipping templates that can happen. Sure. For instance, if you just if you don't put a limit on how many people can buy, if they buy two of them, Amazon's not going to give you the shipping portion for both of them. Amazon is going to split that in half. There are other things that can happen that make it cost you cost you money that you weren't expecting. As well as the handle time. Right, the handling the hand, time. That's the a good one. Time, if you if you go with Miss the that handling time. one day handle time, and so an order comes in at three o'clock on a Thursday, and you're thinking that you still have all day Friday, so then you're going to ship it out on Saturday or Monday. That's not true. Right. You have one day. You got to ship it out the very next day, and if you happen to be busy that day, you're on the hook for it. Now you're going to get a potential late, which that's that's not a deal breaker right there. Just getting a late shipment out is not a, right. not as big of a problem as canceling an order because of true that. So true. So anyway, we've talked a lot about it. Uh, you, you can <laughs> you can see there's a lot to that and, uh, and things that we haven't even mentioned. So be sure that you get some somebody to help you through that if you can at least look at the information and pack on that. So that's enough on FBM. And we're not here to teach people how to do FBM, just those those are some of the pitfalls. Next thing we have is the creating a listing without understanding the potential pitfalls. I see yep. this one frequently as well. I do too. And we, you, you actually did this, and we got a we got a, health, a mark on our health check um, because of just the way the simple way you worded something on a listing mm-hmm. that, uh, and you know, we've been doing this for four and a half years, not mm-hmm. creating listings that long. Maybe four years we've been creating listings, but 
we didn't know we were doing the uh, six months in. It, it was a uh, we could have really gotten ourselves in trouble then. Yeah. But, uh, but even if you know what you're doing, you can actually mistype something or mm-hmm. actually get, I don't want to say get caught, but get flagged for an, an IP violation. I mean, there mm-hmm. are any number of things that potentially put your account at risk when you're creating a listing. And they're changing the rules all the time yeah. about what has to be included in listing, um, making, creating a listing. So mm-hmm. it, while you're building that first book of business in your first hundred agents, in your first $10,000 a month in sales, you want to avoid creating new listings. Even if you create a listing, it's not going to be indexed. Nobody's going to see it. There are many reasons not that it's not even worth it to try during that time. In the beginning. Yeah. In the beginning. You can make a case for it later on. And after you've got some some miles on the tires. Things like that. Yeah. Then it can make sense to do that, but make sure you have all your P's uh, ducks in a row, P's and Q's lined up. Right. Okay. This next one has uh-huh. kind of to do with the, the same as the closeouts, right? Buying from third-party sellers. Yes. This is something that you cannot prove authenticity to Amazon. If they say, this customer said this is a knockoff and we need to see your receipts to show that it's bought from you know a, a national seller, you do not have to have an invoice from the manufacturer. That's not important. What is important is that you have a receipt showing that you bought it from a reputable seller. Mm -hmm. So I can buy it retail from Walmart as long as Walmart's the seller. But Walmart also has third-party sellers just like Amazon does. And if I buy from a third-party seller, that third-party seller is not a nationally reputable seller necessarily. So it's the same as buying on eBay. We don't want to buy on eBay because we can't prove authenticity if Amazon needs it. Mm-hmm. And that's very serious. If Amazon asks you for authenticity, that's a very serious thing that you need to be able to show because you don't want to be seen by Amazon as someone who is selling counterfeit. That's a very bad thing. Mm-hmm. So be sure you have your your invoice, I'm sorry, your receipts and make sure they're not from third-party sellers. Yep. Third-party sellers is a challenge, so let's just avoid them altogether. Mm-hmm. We okay. are third-party sellers. We are third-party sellers. Get good enough where you can become one of those on Walmart, and then you don't have to worry about that. Well, you still can't. You still can't <laughs> buy from the yeah. third-party okay. sellers. Yeah. That's what, yeah. <laughs> You're <Okay>. confusing yourself. <laughs> Here's another one that came up just recently, a week before last in a, in a coaching session. Yes. It's actually in combination with one of the things on the upper list, but this one is not testing small. We yes. see this a lot. Test where like small. You're doing a you're 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 doing your sourcing. You come across something that is like, oh my gosh, this one is so awesome. Uh-huh. I'm gonna buy forty because I'm gonna make you know ten dollars per sale on every one of these. It's selling so, so fast. Selling so fast. I'm gonna just get it. Yes. Okay. And this is exactly what happened to a client of mine. Mm-hmm. And he did that, and he sent them in. Mm-hmm. And we were doing a business health check. We were like doing a know your numbers kind of thing. Uh-huh. And uh, he had a very high return rate for the month that we were analyzing. And I was like, what is causing all these returns? And he said, well, I missourced an item. Oh, no. Yeah. So it was like, it was one of those. Oh, he just mistakenly got the wrong item. Well, but it was a size difference or oh, okay. a color difference or something like that. Right. Okay. And so then guess what? Before he caught it, like 14 or 15 of them had sold and all gotten complaints and returns. Maybe Mm -hmm. not all got complaints, but they all got returns. Yes. And so it was too late. Like by then it was like, oh, he he went and shut it down. But he only had a handful left at that point. mm -hmm. So what happened was 
it tanked his numbers for the month because he wasn't going to get any of that back. Yeah. And he didn't test small. So if you did that four, five, six units test, he, you would have known right off the bat, oh, I only sold and known uh, and experienced, I only sold four or five or six of them as opposed to 20 or 25 out of yes. 40. Yeah. So that brings up two things. One, Test small because you can't know everything before you test. Mm -hmm. There are so many things to learn yet to test to make sure it's going to do what you think it's going to do and there are no other issues. Mm -hmm. That's why we test. Two, when you do test and something like that happens, you tested small, you only sent three or four of them in, be grateful for that. Okay, that didn't work out well. I made a mistake. Uh, that, but I only tested three or four of them. That actually goes in the good mistake money yes. category when you, when yes. that happens. This is exactly. like, oh, now you learn the lesson about all the details to pay attention to, mm-hmm. right? When you're sourcing in before you ship items in. Right. So that's kind of how mistake money works. We should expect it. Mistakes yeah. in and of themselves are not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Make mistakes. Go forward. Make a mess. We say make a mess. We'll clean it up later. Make be sure you use the advice that is so available to you in this community and go get take action. Don't go be afraid action. to make That's mistakes. Right. Get in the game. Yeah. All right. What else do we want to talk about today? Well, we what talk about the book of business itself. Yeah, I think we talk a lot about a having a book of business and building your business to to over a period of time where you have a book of business. Because yes. what happens when you have a book of business? You can make small tweaks to that business to improve it. Um, versus the ASIN level stuff that we do is very like, you know, uh, ASIN by ASIN micro targeted. Yeah. It's very micro. Well, once we have a big chunk of those, you know, a hundred of those that are make up our book of business, Mm -hmm. now we can take targeted approach uh, changes to, or, you know, strategically change those things, whether we are looking to add more small, smaller items to our shipment, whether we're looking, I mean, to our book, uh, whether we're looking to add higher priced items to our book, mm-hmm. more profitable items, more profitable, Easier different categories. Items. We talked about the balanced book of business before, mm-hmm. but, you know, across categories, across mm-hmm. brands, across sizes and weights, all those kinds. As of well things. as, of course, starting across ASINs. Mm-hmm. Right. So when you say book of business, Brian, did you describe to me a little bit more about what a book of business, what are we talking about when we say book of business? So we're talking about a hundred ASINs that you have built up over time mm-hmm. that you are basically sourcing. Mm-hmm. Well, we say five, five new tests a week, five new right? tests a week. I'll five get new, you there in about five, six months. Five new tests a week. will get you there in six months. So you have a great book of business at that mm-hmm. point in time. So, but this is continually adding new ASINs to mm-hmm. your tests, to your test list. And then those that uh, sort of meet your minimum uh, profitability criteria, you flop those over to your replens list. So our goal is to get 100 ASINs over to our replens list. And I'm going to take a quick sidebar on this and say, okay. when you have 100 ASINs on your replens list, you're not necessarily buying all 100 ASINs. Right. Right. The reason that uh, what we typically teach is you want to have 100 ASINs because you're only going to be able to buy realistically 50, 50 or 60, 60 of those. 70, maybe percent of those max. Because they're going to be out of stock or that ASIN is not going to be good right now. You got to wait for it to come back. And right. there's several things as your book of business is turning, different things will rise to the top. Right. So that's a good point. Right. And so every week, then we're basically, well, for us, we shop by the week. So we, we, we take our list of ASINs, we sort by ROI, high to low, we see what we need to restock. And then we see what's made it into our list of, you know, the top whatever percent of, of our list. And that's what we go shopping for. So if you only have 50 
and you were trying to meet your minimum spend, you may not have enough on your list mm-hmm. to make that happen. But if you have a hundred on your list and you're actually shopping for 50, that's probably going to get you there. Good, good. I, I have something to add to the book of business discussion, mm-hmm. which is once you get a book of business, this is what I sell. This is my mix. Then I can take, then I can get more information overall. What's my average sale price? What's my average ROI? What's my average expenses, inbound shipping, for instance, based on the book of business that I've built? Mm -hmm. That's going to be a different mix for everyone. But that's when you can start taking that information overall and making it a better book of business, making it uh, more profitable, making Mm -hmm. it easier to handle, making it more available those kind of things. And that's when, as Susan Gilbert would say, you can make micro changes for macro impact. Yes. So when you want to be able to get to the point where you can make small changes and dial it in, but it's really difficult to do when you're still in the ASIN by ASIN by ASIN. Right. You're going to, you are going to target those things ASIN by ASIN as you're going forward, sure. but we're moving now a whole book of business as opposed to one individual ASIN. Right. So, so there's some balance. It's like a recipe. The more, you know, uh, cinnamon you add uh-huh. uh, or whatever spice yeah, or then whatever. The more you're going to taste that flavor. Yes. Right. 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 But your bit mix is going to be different than my mix mm-hmm. and, and your taste is going to be different than mine. But we digress because <laughs> we what always... we wanted to do here was talk about <laughs> how compare uh, uh, building your book of business is a lot like actually writing a book. Uh-huh. Okay. You don't actually make any money when you write a book until it gets published. How do we know that? Well, ask Brian we how he knows that. We have a book in about a sixty percent complete stage, <laughs> and it's been that made for several months. <laughs> what is going no on? Nobody's paying us anything yeah, for that. Gosh anything darn! Book. Yeah, <laughs> um, and it's just because it's not done, and it is one of those things where yeah, the intense focus effort needs to happen for us in order to mm-hmm. finish it. For you, put that intense focus effort in place for your book of business on your replens list, on your replens ASINs, and then that'll get done. Yes. But until you get to that point, until you've gotten five figures and you know consistently five figures in sales each month, until you've got 100 ASINs, it's tough to really say how the business is going for you. Mm-hmm. You need a, you, you know... And you're probably not making a whole lot of money yet. Right, right. Because you're still trying to... You're still experimenting more than mm-hmm. you have balance for that. So. Right, mm-hmm. right. So you don't get paid for your writing your book until it's done. Fortunately, you do get paid for. Uh, you can get some payment yeah. for ASINs right. as you're building your book of business. Fortunately, it's not exactly the same. But it is very much like writing a book in that write a page and then you'll read it over and you think, well, this needs a, some rewrites, right? Well, we don't. We don't do that at a page level as we're going when we're writing the book, right? We get the book done, then we go back and content edit. Okay. So what I was trying to apply that to was when I'm building ASINs, I'm going to test one ASIN. Mm-hmm. Then it didn't maybe didn't work out the way I wanted it to. So I want to pull that out and try it on another ASIN. Mm-hmm. So I might want to rewrite that page as I'm okay. going along before I publish it, right? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, maybe. Okay. I'm, I'm like, okay. just throw them all in there, right? This is what we're testing and uh-huh. test, make replans. And then that's writing the book. At uh-huh. the end, we can go back and say, okay, these type of ASINs don't really work that well for me. So I'm mm-hmm. going to trade them out for these kinds of ASINs, okay. right? That's the All content right. editing part. All or right. maybe the the, the the first 100 ASINs is your first edition. 
Uh-huh. Right then, so, so you can see how we work out these analogies, whether it works or not. <laughs> Welcome to making sausage at yes. the Olson's house. <laughs> the, the, as you're tweaking that book of business, this can become your future edition, your second mm-hmm. edition, your third edition, um, and this is improved based on what you know. Right, right. As as book editions are frequently updated to to well, match you've the got times. feedback from the people who mm-hmm. have bought the book. Yeah. You've gotten feedback from your customers in the, in the, your book of business, and that helps you adjust and know what people will buy, what people won't, what people will pay for it. You're always learning. You're always taking that feedback and adjusting your book of business, just like you would your revisions on your book. Is okay. that right? Yes. Okay. Going off script. Uh oh. <laughs> Okay, I knew it. This? Like this wasn't enough sausage making. Let's go off script now. <laughs> well, just the experience that you get when you're doing the when when you're sourcing, mm-hmm. you come across a good ace and you're like, oh yeah, this is great. This is definitely I'm gonna test it. Yes. And then you test it. And let's say that it, you know, meets your minimum profit requirements, and then it goes on your replens list. But mm-hmm. the more that you go and buy and replen that item, mm-hmm. the more of a pain in the you know what it be you, you realize that it is. Okay. For whatever reason. Because it's really heavy, or I have to go to three different stores to put it together. Exactly. Okay? And pretty soon the, the effort is not worth the money exchange. So in the beginning, I'm I'm putting over yeah. there everything I can find. So mm-hmm. if it's hard to get, that's okay. Yes. I'll take that right now until I can build my book of business. Mm-hmm. Then when I start making wanting to make my book of business better, yeah. then I'm like, okay, let's take out these things that are a little hard. Right. Right. Yes. So that's it. Like in the, you don't know enough in the beginning when you're writing mm-hmm. your first edition to say, well, you know, this is what my fourth edition is going to look like. This happens, you know, this evolves in your business over time. True. So those those things that are maybe not quite as profitable, mm-hmm. maybe are a little more difficult to manage. Those things you will keep on your on your list until you replace them. Mm-hmm. Yes. You're going to start replacing your 20% ROIs with 30% ROIs. You're going to start replacing your hard to find items with easier to find items, things that make your book of business more profitable and better in several ways. Mm-hmm. But that's difficult to do when you're ASIN by ASIN by ASIN. You'll just just build it first. Yeah. Build something that you can work on and yes. then work on it. Yes. Yeah. I think that's what we're trying to get across. That's all right. Good. good. All right. Okay. Not too far off script. That was all right. Well, <laughs> I left off the real off script part I was going oh. to go. You want to go there? I don't know. Uh, Let's do it. All right. I know you're like, well, maybe. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so we spent yesterday packing and shipping for the first yes. time in a while. Yes, we did. And uh, it was a very eye-opening experience for us because that we've from from afar, uh, and we don't use a, a third-party prep center. We use um, members people of our that family, we know. Yeah. people that we know, as we've shared with many of you before. Unfortunately, one of them hurt her shoulder, and we needed to go help her out. Right, and. And so we went down uh, to Colorado Springs to do that yesterday, mm-hmm. and we were packing boxes. And it didn't take me about 20 minutes to realize why her shoulder was hurting so bad. Yes. And it was because we had, you know, slightly modified one of the things that we were selling to fit in the same size box as the original thing. And then, it like, she didn't mention anything about it. She, she didn't say it well, was hard. she does... Right. She does what we tell her to do. She doesn't question. Yeah, she doesn't want to, you know, <laughs> rock the boat, so to speak. And so we get down there and we're packing stuff up. And all of a sudden, we were like, within just a few minutes, we we're like, this has this, got to change. No wonder your shoulder No wonder your shoulder hurts. Like, this is not going <laughs> to, we have to fix this. Yes. And so with, so 
it can be good if you are if you're outsourced, um, mm-hmm. whether it's a prep center or um, to within your own home or outside of your home that is not a third party prep center, mm-hmm. for you to kind of maybe just go visit that or you know yes. get your hands dirty once in a while just to make sure that uh, things yeah, are still try, working the way you think that they are. From your house, right? That's that was a really an eye opening. Mm-hmm. But you know what? It also it taught me, Brian was. There's a reason we don't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. We are not good at it. No. We are not. We are not the ones. Who, it, it took us probably three times as long. It took to us four hours her. to pack up 165 units. And she can do 165 units probably so in half that time. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Mm-hmm. So it also taught us why we don't do that. And we are spending our time yeah. and efforts on more, more profitable things. Good. Right. All right. In terms of the book, tweaking that book of business, mm-hmm. here we go from an effort standpoint. This is the reason I brought that up to begin with is it's not worth trying to cram something in a in a same size box when that item is actually materially different. Mm-hmm. Get the right size box, do mm-hmm. the right things, make it easy. Right. Right. So that because she'll be able to pack way more things if she's not constantly trying to cram stuff in a small mm-hmm. box. Right. So, Great. Anyway. Yeah. All right. Well, Let's wrap this up with what I'm going to call another famous quote. <laughs> you like your quotes. Well, we've been, we, we got caught one time for requoting somebody, right. not on purpose, right? It was like, right. oh, yeah, of course we, because <laughs> we are committed to sharing, well, you know, what's been shared with us. What's been shared with us. And so sometimes it's so ingrained in us, we don't even realize that we're repeating something that right. was whatever. Okay. Right. So um, in this case, I don't, I couldn't find anything where this quote came from except from you. So that's okay, the reason I'm so, calling it "quote unquote" famous. Uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Are you ready for this? I'm ready. What did I say? You said we go from not seeing how we can do it, and you're talking about this business. Mm-hmm. Okay. We go from not seeing how we can do it to not seeing how we can't do it. We go from not seeing how we can do it. Mm-hmm. I can't see how we can do this. Uh-huh. To not seeing how we can't do. It. I can't see how why we wouldn't do this. Yeah, it right? becomes compelling. Mm-hmm. When you can't not see it, <laughs> right? When it is so compelling to you, where you just, it's unavoidable. It's staring mm-hmm. your, you know. You can't help but see it. You can't help but see it. It's looking, you know, it hits you right between the eyes. But that's not the way it starts out. No, it's not. It's not, not anything but right between the eyes, right? Right. Yeah. It's it's scary, and I'm not sure if this is going to work. Ah. Yeah, in the beginning, all we can see is how we can't do it. Yeah, this I doesn't can make sense. tell you a thousand reasons why this is not a good good idea. Mm-hmm. Until you get past the point where you can't see, you, you can't see a good reason why it's not a good idea. Yes. When you get to that point where there's, there's no good excuse for not doing yep. it. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's where we want to get, mm-hmm. get to. And until you get there, you know, it solves that problem. More ASINs. More ASINs. Let's go get some more ASINs. More ASINs. Take care. All right. Have a good day. Thanks, everybody. you guys. So thanks for hanging out with me today on today's episode. But before I let you go, I've got a special guest that we're bringing in once a week or so around here. You guys are saying you love these little segments I'm doing with Mr. Jeff Schick. He's my legal Amazon best go-to expert and so many people in our community working with him now. He really helps put us at ease and help us handle those IP complaints and Amazon legal issues uh, better than anyone in the industry from my vantage point, which is why we're bringing him on the show. And what have you got for us today, Jeff? So I have an interesting one. This this is a, a very commonly asked question, and it's a very commonly people don't know the answer. It is what should a seller do when they get an IP complaint? And so, because, you know, the more you sell, the more the odds are going to happen. You're going to get an IP complaint. You know, it's not a matter of if, but when. And being having that plan in place is kind of like, almost like, you know, coming up with your emergency plan so that you know 
well, what are you going to do? So that way you think about it now when you're not stressed so that when it happens, you already know what steps you're going to take. Yeah. And, and I don't want to say that it's inevitable, but with the model that we teach, it probably is going to happen at some point. And everyone gets nervous when they see that first IP complaint. So walk us through, uh, first, maybe let's start here. How serious is this or how serious could it be? What's my worst case scenario? And then let's talk about what do you do when you get it on? So worst case scenario is an interesting one because Amazon has a variety of different actions they can take depending on the type of claim. So the worst case scenario claim would probably, you know, in my book would be a seller having a, what's called a confirmed counterfeit. That's where a brand went onto your listing. They bought the product from you, the seller. They then looked at it. They maybe maliciously and some, we've had it happen with a couple brands so far this year, where then they go to Amazon and they say, I want to make a complaint through brand registry and file a counterfeit. And then it, Amazon has a question. This next question down is, did you buy this product? And if they check yes and supply an order number, now we've pushed it from the counterfeit without a test buy into the confirmed counterfeit category. And so in those cases, it can drop a seller's uh, account health rating down to zero and it can result in suspensions. So that's your worst case scenario. Typical, the most common IP complaints we see are counterfeit without a test buy. Those have about a four to 10 point impact on the account health rating. Uh, Amazon can, can double it in certain circumstances, so it could go up to 20 points. But either, either way, since you're starting at 200, even if you had 20 points taken off, that's not pushing you into the red zone because you still have you know dozens of more points to go before you get suspended. So it's, you know, certain, something, something to be mindful of. I'm not saying, Hey, just, you know, start selling anything and everything that gets IP claims. They don't matter because that's not, that's not what I'm saying. But. That's not the message we want to send. Certainly you do want to try to avoid them. Absolutely. And, and, and stay above board and, and you know, keep, right. keep good records and only buy from reputable sources. Uh, we did actually have one of those where we innocently enough bought a small handful of a product that did generate that counterfeit IP complaint as confirmed by a purchase. And we had no idea that it was a counterfeit, but they came back and showed us, hey, the packaging is actually completely different. And, and we had bought it from, uh, it was like some kind of closeout. We used to do that. We don't do it anymore. This has been like five years ago. I don't ever buy anything from like closeouts, you know, discount bargain barns, you know, with bins of stuff. Like I don't sell that stuff on Amazon. Uh, maybe that'll be a good segment for us to do sometime. But it happened to me Absolutely. and we weren't suspended. We had to stop selling it and we had to create a plan of action and we were fine. Is that the case most of the time? So to answer your question, you know, when someone gets an IP claim, they don't often cause sellers to immediately get suspended, but left unaddressed and left, you know, where they continue getting more definitely is it can cause suspensions to happen. Now there's an interesting, uh, I, I was asked this question today by a, a client. They said, what is Amazon expecting in terms of me to address this violation? It says on here, your submission is required. The person on the phone told me I must address this as promptly as possible. What is that an acceptable timeline look like? And the answer to that is it depends, but it's typically not, it's somewhere between as fast as they want you to reply and as slow as you possibly can so that you figure out. And the reason for that, you know, is that you need to figure out the facts. And so a big part of what my team does is that we do fact finding. So anyone that submits an IP claim, the first step before, you know, an attorney ever even touches the case is that we have one of our paralegals go through the case and look at all the facts, because believe it or not, 
what sellers see and what we see can be two different things. And of course, what Amazon sees could also be door number three. <laughs> and so our goal is to make sure that we have all of our facts lined up in a row, all of our documentation in order before we ever even start thinking about going to Amazon. Because the last thing we want to do is go to Amazon and say, you know, let's, you know, here's an interesting case I worked on recently. You know, let's say the product in question is Velcro. And we had a, you know, we have a private label listing that says Velcro on it because it has Velcro, it claims to have Velcro straps. And the Amazon account health rep would say, oh, just turn in your invoice from your manufacturer. Well, what if our manufacturer's in China and it doesn't talk about Velcro at all? It talks about hook and, hook and loop closure. Well, submitting that invoice to Amazon isn't going to clear up the IP claim because it's going to raise more red flags. Right. So a big part of what my team does is we look at all the list, we look at all the facts of the case. We come up with a summary. That's when it then gets handed to myself and I start looking at the case and really, you know, coming up with the attack plan of how we're going to, you know, how we're going to, you know, what's the diagnosis and what's the treatment plan. And then from there, we come up with, you know, the next steps on how to address the IP claim. So, you know, good for sellers as coming up with this, you know, this whole concept of IP claim emergency plan, step one really is to get your documentation in order because you can't make any decisions if you don't know what you're dealing with. So, you know, let me repeat that because I think it's important. If you don't know what you're dealing with, you can't address the problem. It's so first step is recollect all your receipts, you know, look at what you sold. You know, we have a, I've had sellers where they're like, I swear it was an, it was Nike. It was a Nike shirt, you know, and then we pull the receipts and it's champion and that's a, you know, a Nike doesn't file IP claims. So let me, before people get freaked out thinking that Nike or champion file IP claims because they don't, um, it's, or have not, I should say they haven't, you know, I'm not saying that they do, but you know, it's a lot of times people will get hung up and they'll be like, it was a Nike listing. The PDP says Nike. And then we look at it and it's like, no, the PD, the product detail page or PDP says, you know, brand XYZ. So really we collect all the data up front, figure out what kind of issue you have. And then now, now you're able to then come up with next steps. Maybe that next step is that you decide that you're going to appeal it on your own. That's, you know, some sellers are, are confident doing that. It, yeah, I certainly. would say. You know, one thing is if you get one rejection on your own, it might be time to think about looking for, for help because one, the way Amazon system works, they keep a record. And so every rejection gets stacked in there. And by the time, you know, I had one seller come to me recently, they had submitted 12 appeals. Uh, this was for an account suspension. They had submitted 12 appeals on their own before they sought professional help. And I, going into it, I told him, I'm like, I just, you know, I'm prefacing this case that this is going to be tough because when we submit your appeal that I write for you, this agent now has on, you know, on monitor, on right monitor, they've got your appeal that I just wrote for you that they're looking at. And on the left monitor, they've got 18 red X's saying that you've been rejected with notes next to it, why it's been rejected. It's really hard on number 19 for them to push the button and then have to write an explanation why they're overturning 18 other people that they said no, that said no, that, that said your account should stay, you know, deactivated on that case. We did win. that person took the time, they read it and they reinstated the account on the first appeal. 
That would be phenomenal. Yeah, and that's the value of working with someone who knows what data and facts needs to be gathered and how to write that appeal. And, you know, I I don't want these segments to cause anyone's heart rate to go up or for anyone to lose any sleep. Quite the opposite. When you've got a pro in your corner, the vast majority of the time, these things all turn out okay. But you are going to see some of these, you know, we're, we're selling on someone else's platform and we're selling other brands that we don't own. There's going to be friction from time to time. But uh, don't let that take away from the opportunity as long as you're dealing with the pro. So when you get an IP complaint, gather your information, gather your facts. And if you're not a client of Jeff's, maybe that's a good time to start thinking about hiring someone who knows what they're doing to help you manage this scenario. But any any other tips? I know this is a kind of a can of worms. IP complaints can go in so many different directions. Like how many different kinds of IP complaints are there? How do you categorize them? Um, Well, so, okay. So let's think about it. There's... I like to categorize IP complaints by, um, and, and this is just received IP. We're not even going to talk about suspected IP or product authenticity complaints, but just on received IP complaints alone, there's trademark category, there's copyright, and there's, there's patents. Those are the top three categories that we look at. Now, within trademark, there's subcategories. So there's trademarks on product, trademark on product detail page, counterfeit, counterfeit without a test buy, Parallel imports, which is actually a new one we should talk about. And um, because that just rolled out into the United States um, a couple weeks ago. And then there's uh, trade dress. Trade dress, no one ever talks about. No one really even knows about it. And for arbitrage sellers, they'll never need to know about it. But it's funny nonetheless. The the, uh, Hallmark case in in the Supreme Court case law is actually Taco Bell. They sued Taco Cabana which is a Texas version of uh, Taco Bell, although I think much better. And they basically, they both got into a lawsuit over who copied whose table design colors because they each used different tile on the, set the same tile on their table and wow. said that that was the hallmark of their store. So, huh. but okay, so that's trademark. Within copyright, we've got copyright on product. We've got copyright on product detail page. We then also have this other sort of weird copyright that very very seldomly comes up, but it's copyright counterfeit. That has to do with media and books. So DVDs, CDs, and, and books, and other you know, printed stuff. And then within patents, uh, design and utility patents are the most common ones sellers would ever you know, inter- interact with. But again, typically only comes up for, uh, for private label sellers that have to worry about the patent cases. Gotcha. Well, that's fascinating to me. It just demonstrates the level of knowledge and experience that you've had, you know, four years doing this and helping Amazon sellers dig out of these little scary pits they find themselves in quite efficiently and with a high success rate. But I appreciate you know, it. I, I mean, yeah, I just, I appreciate you being here and being a member of the community. And I think, you know, we could easily go much longer on this topic, but I think the main point of today's short episode is, hey, if, if you run into some IP complaints and you, you're having trouble navigating them on your own, Jump over to jeffschick.com. There's a link in the show notes. Hire a pro and sleep better at night knowing that you've got someone who understands this landscape and can help you continue to navigate Amazon legally without uh, losing any sleep. So appreciate you being here, man. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you. Appreciate for having me on. Of course. Absolutely. Talk to you then. Thank you for listening to Silent Sales Machine Radio. Visit SilentJim.com for a link to our free newsletter, our free Facebook group, and all of our resources mentioned on today's show.